0: people out there this is Arakaya and Mariah to you with this beautiful podcast of the planets are my gods and just come along this journey as we muse into the the intricate depths of grief and these stages of grief and and how valuable it is for us in this time individually and collectively as we navigate these, these moments of great initiation and great changes. In this conversation, we really each share
1: some of the tools that we've found to be the deepest and the best at really holding us as we continue on and trying to really understand our feelings and how to navigate them and how to translate what's going on in our internal experience into our actions and our choices in the world. A lot of times I feel like when people are sharing these kinds of learnings that they found, it can sound really clinical or really mental, like there's some right way to do it out there and you just need to follow this easy one, two, three steps. But I hope that in in our conversation and through the course of each of our personal sharing, you can also hear some of the flavor of how hard this has been for us how much learning and growth we've each had to do in terms of our emotional self-understanding and how much we've suffered in relationship and how that suffering has led to discovering these very hard won gems. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really happy to share those gems of our deep experience with you in the hopes that maybe they resonate with stuff you've also been learning or maybe give you some guidance. To take with you for the road,
0: yeah, something that's been really interesting for me. I feel like every single time it comes back, I, I keep noting to myself how important this is and how it seems that our society as a whole, and even specifically our society around or our subculture around spirituality feels like we're really bad (laughs) at grieving or instead of using a judgment word such as bad just sometimes can be really um adverse to it or avoiding it in in many ways and I, as I was speaking to, I was speaking to a client and then I was speaking to a friend and in both situations, it felt so obvious to me that, that these codependent dynamics that were arising or these really big challenges, unlike the, the people stepping into what they were feeling they needed or like stepping into their authenticity and then how that was influencing the people around them felt so related to the stages of grief and just our unwillingness to be inside of like the more human, raw, like heavier emotions inside of the stages of grief, being like anger or the sadness um, and how much more comfortable it seemed to be to go into the negotiation phase or into the denial and try to like skip to this acceptance phase, you know, Mm -hmm. and I mean just to just to cap for all those that are listening just the stages of grief we have these stages that begin with denial like everything we are needing to grieve or before there's like we're on the precipice of a change there's like this denial phase usually like we're denying that we have to change we're denying that this thing is happening we're denying that this person is dying or or whatever whatever is causing this um this life change or this like egoic dismantling in a sense, because that's what I really think it is, is like our ego is being faced with like something that is going to dismantle the way that we are living, the structure that we are that we are like housed inside of, you know, that we are supported within. Um, and so it goes denial, then it goes to anger where we're then like resisting, you know, we're resisting or we're upset with it, we're fighting it in whatever way. And then the other phase is the negotiation phase. So then we start to negotiate and we start to um, try to compromise and try to find like ways around it, you know, which seems very um, spiritual or mature or evolved in some way. And it's not that it isn't. It's just also sometimes it hinders us from being able to just fully let go and move on and, and make the changes that we need to. So we go through this period where we're trying to compromise and we're trying to balance our needs with the others or, or whatever the negotiation um, phase ends up looking like. And then it goes to the sadness where you're just like really hit with the, the gravity of, of how sad it is, whatever, it's ha- whatever is happening. And then once we really fully go through that, we can usually move on to the acceptance phase. Um, but it seems to me that the anger and the sadness are the real places that I feel. It seems like everyone, you know, myself is included. It feels, it feels like just change in general or death or, or even life. Like sometimes it's just like trying to do something that, you know, is going to get you to, um, move through that gate of whatever is keeping you from, from living in the way that you know that you're calling for. We can stay inside of like stale relationships or stay inside of like homes and jobs and countries and towns and and ways um, that are no longer feeding certain parts of us. And even though those parts of us may feel like they're dying or they're like in captivity in some way, the other parts of us might feel so safe and secure, you know? Um, but it really seems like the, the raw emotional part of it has been either so shamed by us as society or, or whoever we're with, um, or it's also just uncomfortable, you know, to know, like, how to move through that tunnel, like, how to move through the emotions without giving them the full power. And so I feel like we're really ill-equipped, it seems like, as individuals, but also as societies to, like, move through these major gates of initiation or these portals of profound change.
1: Totally. And I mean, we avoid grief, but I think what you're bringing up here is like, we also have no idea how to do it or what it is or any guidance. Like it's just really an ambiguous process and you know we talk about it in terms of stages and that researcher wrote about it in that way and it's very insightful and it can go in that linear way but also a lot of times it's very non-linear there can be like oh, totally. doubling back to different moments and
0: the Often you're saying words it's like, like you're saying
1: yeah, yeah all over you know, the place not, all it was multiple things not. and like anger and anger sadness doing dance together and, and Yeah. And they like combine and morph and create new emotional experiences. And this piece that you've been bringing up, it's like, you have to learn how to grieve. Like you have to learn how to grieve because in relationship or in like, as a way of navigating through life, because the alternative to grieving is staying in things that you're unable to let go of that you're incapable of moving on from that actually are not true for you anymore and aren't serving you. And so it's like, I wonder if that's also wrapped up a little bit in this element of bargaining. Like I'm going to stay with this friend I have a crush on, right? I want more. They don't want more, but I'm going to stay hoping that maybe something will happen, you know, or it's like something just happened. It's like, um, my friend had a baby and is really hoping that her parents are going to move to be able to come help with the baby, but her parents aren't going to move. And every time I talk with her, she's in a different experience. I'm so mad. My parents aren't going to move here. I'm so sad. I feel so abandoned, but maybe if I said, if I found them a really good retirement community, they would move here. And it's like, babe, your parents aren't moving here, you know? right? And like grieving the path that you're parents aren't going to live there, that you're not going to have the support that you want for raising your child, that you're not going to be able to spend this period of your life with them, requires grief to get to the acceptance. And I feel like it also requires accepting that fact to be open to the grief. Because until you accept that there's actually something to grieve, you're still holding on. All these things are ways of still holding on, still being angry with someone. Don't they get it? Won't they see? It's still holding on to the belief that they will.
0: Change their minds, as um, opposed to
1: accepting that they will not, they're not, they're not going to change. They're not going to move. They're not going to change how they're being in relationship, whatever the thing is.
0: And it really makes it, well, for one, what you're mentioning, they're not going to change. It's, it's, we end up entering into these codependent dynamics and these control dynamics really because of our inability to grieve, therefore make boundaries, therefore find open like open our mind to more possibilities. Like as long as there's energy being trapped in these emotions that are not able to fully cycle through. And in a sense we we like you were saying we ping from these different emotions instead of like being able to like actually have a formula or a pathway to move through them. What we end up doing I think is we end up feeding this emotional energy, instead of really, truly transmuting it and moving through it, we end up feeding it to where we then start to feed the patterns of addiction or codependence that then it traps us in, in this like, it's like, I'm seeing us like trapped inside of this liminal space that we refuse to allow ourselves and whoever we're engaging with to move through, to move past or through, right? And it's like all of that potency. What's that?
1: You're like in a bubble between grief and acceptance.
0: Right. Which is like in a bubble out of time, which in my opinion is illusion. So everything that is created inside of that, all the energy that we feed into those emotions is almost like, and then all the negotiations that arise and all the contracts and agreements and, you know, these relational patterns and everything that happens, it feels like it just then feeds more of the illusion that it's like, of course we can still learn inside of that. Everything is perfect and divine and whatever we want to think of. Like we're all, we're all learning and we all have our timing. Right. But I do think that there's a lot of suffering that is caused based on the amount of time it takes us to recognize these portals, these, these places of true change and initiation and, and grief and The amount of, you know, the jobs that we create, the relationships we create, the amount of time we spend in that house or that country or that job or whatever it is inside of that relationship, all of that ends up creating a lot of karma, drama, trauma, illusion Uh That we then Mm -hmm. get really mixed up in because it's no longer just my illusion. I'm wrapping whoever is inside of it with me into that inauthentic illusion, into that further, like deeper layers of karma, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it becomes something that's really, it really wraps. It's like we then are co-creating this like really tight knit fabric that feels, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like really traumatic and illusory. And then when we start to peel it out, there's so much disillusionment. There's so much suffering or attachment that is then um, activated because we've wrapped up ourselves and each other into these illusory patterns. And while we are feeding all of that, like that bubble that we're speaking about, like that bubble of illusions and all of the karma drama, trauma, I feel like we're, we're closing our, our mind, our psyche, our soul, we're closing our our body, our pathway from actually opening up to like, what's the actual thing that's meant to happen? Because if we believe that, like, if it's not really authentic for us, and it won't be authentic for the other p- people as well. And so as long as we're kind of like trying to get them to do it and they're kind of like, okay, they either fight it or they submit to something and compromise with us. And we create this thing that we think works for a little bit. Do you know what I mean? It's like, we can do all that. But like, if it wasn't truly authentic for us, it's probably not authentic for them either. And then we're not able to ever really be open to the universe, surprising us with what was meant to be the authentic, moment if we were both following or if we're all following you know our our hearts and of course that gets into like idealism and it's never really um probably found or or experienced in the in the way that I'm I'm suggesting that it could be you know but I do think that just the idea for me it helps me to understand that if it's not authentic for me it probably isn't for the other person no matter how much I feel like they need my help no matter how much I feel like I'm being a horrible person, if I don't self-sacrifice in this way to give to them, mm-hmm. the times that I've trusted it and and made the boundary, it's like another opportunity for that person arose that was authentic for that other person.
1: I guess the metaphor that works for me or the aphorism is like, it's about being in right relationship with reality. Yeah, you know, like even anger being at the very top of that list of one of the stages of griefs, so much of anger is an attempt to control what's mm. happening. Anger happens when you want a certain thing to be happening and it's not. Mm. And that's the one of the great lessons that it, I found from anger is you can interrogate it. It's like, I'm so mad about this thing. And it's like, oh, well, what did you want to happen? This happened. And then taking like, up well, we have to accept that that's not happening here. You know? Like... I had really deep feelings for a friend of mine a while ago who did not return those feelings. And I was angry. I was sad. I negotiated. I did all the things that you're talking about. At the end, I just had to accept, like, I can't control them. They don't have feelings for me back, mm-hmm. you know? And just accepting that was just a part of being in right relationship with reality. And then, yes, I have to move on, you know? Yes, they are not then dealing with my projections, dealing with my little, you know... Um, desires and needs that were coming out in all my nonverbal signals Mm -hmm. in my energetic attempts to hook into them Mm -hmm. right it did clear space for them to find something that was actually right for them Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and yeah I do I just think it's like when we hold on and we hold on for so many reasons like you're saying like in relationship there can be so much actual like especially if you're someone who believes in personal growth there can be so much Belief that you should hold on, that you should work through it, you know, that it's like there's that you should try learning all these tools and implementing all these skills so much in that direction, you know, or it's like there's so much that we do to try and make our jobs better, the place that we're living better, Mm -hmm. all these things. And that's when you're talking about this image of like, like we feed so much more energy into things, trying to make them work, trying to find happiness within them, trying to like bend things to our will.
0: Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating too, because as you're speaking about it, like the anger is like so much often times like the fight to try to control, try to make something different, the fight against reality in a sense or the, or the other, you know, um, but there's also this other part of the anger, which to me is so it's such a sacred piece of being able to realize for me when I really actually do need to grieve. Because when I've been really feeling anger inside of a relationship or inside of a job or something like that, it's always been moments where my soul is like, no, you're like over giving energy or you're, you're, there's something that's happening that is like, of vital importance and there's an imbalance that's been created um yeah. my doing you know obviously but but I've really felt like you know the anger is a huge key to like know that my soul is saying no and exactly like whenever I'm feeling anger I'm always like oh
1: I probably need to set boundaries also
0: absolutely and and also maybe just grieve cry and let go <laughs> because I think that that will be you know, indicative to, um, yeah, like what it, what it means. Like if, if I feel like so many times I I can shame myself for feeling angry and then want Mm -hmm. to like enter into more like nonviolent communication and like negotiation and compromise. And like, if I see you and you see me, we can build a bridge of love and like both people can get their needs met and blah, blah, blah. But like deep down, there's something that they're not able to do or they are not wanting to do. And my trying to find ways to make that work has been like a big part of what keeps me in this cycle. Exactly.
1: And I just want to highlight that thing you said in the beginning, but I think we really need to like pull it out and look at it because what you're saying is like part of the reason why we don't want to go through these stages of grief is because we have shame against feeling these feelings and when we have shame, we'll overcompensate in the other direction. Right. So we're ashamed of our anger, we'll overcompensate by then trying to act even more nonviolent, right? right. Shame oh about feeling sad or fear that we're gonna fall into a hole and never come out of it. You know, we'll try to be even more. It's okay. It's okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that piece is really I important. That inside the group. <laughs> yeah. And then it it also like pushes that sadness down deeper where it becomes like this chronic ache um, or pushes the sorrow down. And so it's like inside of the grief, there are all of these feelings that are, um, that might be very difficult for us to accept and to let ourselves actually go through.
0: And I think inside of usually like these places of tremendous sadness or, um, or anger, I think the other pieces are really important also, but for me, I feel like the, the sadness and the anger stage really like, um, stands out the most to me right now is just because I, I think that those have their own like traumas or their own, like, like entire mythos. We create these entire like belief systems around our relationship to those emotions. And so I think that we, it's like we're, um, invited to become masters of, of our emotions and masters of those portal moments and, and these experiences that give us these opportunities to really face those places where we feel anger and sadness, um, in a, a light or tremendous way, you know? And I think that the faster that we're able to just move, like to accept feeling that way and to move through them, that the clearer and and faster we're able to then see what the boundary or see what the you know the action is or the response is on the other side of it but i think that our belief systems are shame or you know when i say belief systems it's like for instance if i get angry cuz i'm wanting to be met in a certain way inside of a relationship and then i get angry and they don't understand or they don't want to you know meet me in this way and they keep saying they do but they don't and all of that it just then it triggers the belief systems of like i'm never going to find anyone that can meet me and all you know so then that, that compounds it to where it's like then i go into like being more Libra and like, let me nonviolently communicate and try to meet all your needs and try to like collaborate in this really healthy, mature way. And then like, then it doesn't actually get my needs met either. So it's, it's, um, it's fascinating. It's just like, there's so many coping strategies, I think involved in us not knowing how to deal with, um, yeah, with the sadness that reality and other people can't always meet our needs. <laughs> and sometimes we need to let those bitches go.
1: I want to talk about boundaries for a second, because um, I think it's really important what you're saying. I saw this meme on Instagram, right? So take it with a grain of salt, but I really loved it. It was like, boundaries are the distance that I can love me and you at the same time. And for me, that's so beautiful to say it. Cause it's like, wow, what can I, cause it's about coming up with boundaries from a place of what's true. Like, I think a lot of times we can think, I need a boundary, I need a boundary. And we're still just even learning what these things called boundaries are. You know, like, I think a lot of times when people think about boundaries, it's like, Um, When I text, you need to text me back because otherwise I get scared or worried or lonely, you know, or like when I'm upset, you need to stay in the room and keep talking to me. Or like when I'm upset, you need to leave me alone. You know, but (laughs) boundaries are not (laughs) not about, no, they're not boundaries. They're like desires or like requests for what the other person should do. Right. But I think also when boundaries are not like fully integrated into our sense of self or our communication style and relationship pattern, they, come out a little wonky and they come out a little sideways and we're all in this learning process about what it means to let boundaries emerge from a true assessment of our energy and capacity in the relational field. Oh,
0: like right.
1: that's why I love that quote because boundaries are number one about things that I do, right? Not about things that you do. Boundaries are the ways that I need to do Pretty like sure. act and respond based on what is genuinely true for me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I can't overgive in this relationship in this way because I know that that will drain my energy and I will get, you know, I will no longer be available for other aspects of relating or of showing up for my own life that are important to me. Do you know? It's like, I understand that you have that need. I'm not going to shame you, judge you, blame you, be mad at you for having that desire. But like, this is genuinely what I can give. This is what I got you know? So let's like think about how to do that together. And for me, that's like the real boundary. And it comes from, like you said, knowing yourself Mm -hmm. and also truly accepting yourself as you are. And this other thing is actually truly accepting the other person as they are too. Right. This person might want space or closeness when they're upset, but I'm available for this thing, you know, and let's find a way that I can love you and me at the same time.
0: Yeah. What I, I About boundaries for me is like if it's like the part of me that can is like what I would consider my higher self or my own um like protector. My it's like this I I call it my inner Capricorn. It's like the part that like knows myself, knows what I like my needs are and it's like my manager that's like okay well so before you get in this relationship or while you're in the beginning stages of this or whatever time it's like we we should have our manager on 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 the clock at all times really but it's it's oftentimes for me I find it's like my manager is like on board with knowing what I need and want and my boundaries around things but then as soon as I like really fall in love or really get like really emotional about, about someone or something, then oftentimes that part of me starts to take precedence and no longer the manager is like mediating between that okay. part of me and reality. And so in a sense, it's like the part of me that knows like what you're saying, I, I know myself. And so I need to make a boundary about that and communicate that fairly, which I feel like I really do in the beginning stages of a relationship. But what I don't sometimes do is then maintain that manager position where in the heat of moments when the boundaries are no longer being listened Mm -hmm. to and, and like, you know, gaslighting or all these other things start to happen it's it's like it's basically other let's just call it other people's you know our our needs are conflicting with one another and Mm -hmm. and both people are feeling emotional about it you know it's like instead of the managers being on board and being like okay remember what we said in order to like keep Mm-hmm. everyone inside of their own rink and still able to play the games or able to like co-create and able to like what you said yeah. love each other then we need to make mm-hmm. sure that that this manager or this boundary maker is able to um is able to call those shots in order really? for the the part of us that wants to then get really emotional and then enter into the codependence or into the blaming or the shaming or the fighting and all of these emotional dramas, I think that occur, um, can be like mitigated and like really the part of us that is feeling those things, like not to, it's like emotional drama sounds, you know, like an immature or shaming way. But I think that ultimately our emotional parts of ourselves are like really, really deep, really powerful, vulnerable, really Mm -hmm. crucial and sacred parts of ourselves and and those are oftentimes the the markers the the ones that truly let us know if our boundaries are being upheld Mm -hmm. you know like if we're really going into our like if we're really authentic with our path you know it's like our our deep emotional pieces that like really hold our our high and our low dreams you know that really Mm -hmm. um that really echo back to us, you know, our, our needs and and our pathway and like, are, are we being met and are we in alignment and are we, are we in something that is truly feeding us? And, and then I, I think that if these parts of us can work together instead of, you know, Mm -hmm. shaming each other, shutting each other down, compartmentalizing each other, um, kicking the manager out as soon as you start having your honeymoon or whatever it is,
1: you know, And it is problematic because I think, you know, me and you and everyone else right now, who I know, at least, everyone's trying to share their tools for what they've learned about how to be in relationship, how to communicate, how to deal with things like grief and suffering and conflict. And it is difficult because it can sound when each of us share like we are coming from that more like managerial mental space of like oh well just do this and i have the answer and it's very logical but obviously when we're in it it's pure emotion and obviously it's like believing that there's some fantasy land where we're all going to do it right and get it right because we're coming from a logical intellectual place Mm -hmm. is one like a really shitty paradigm for like (laughs) approaching relationships of trying to do it right. But also the only way that then you're putting in charge kind of the arbiter of who can determine whether you're doing it right is your logical intellectual one who has a programmatic agenda about how it's going to go. And then you're setting yourself up in a position where only if I make them happy, I can do it. But so I understand what's difficult about these conversations is that all these different relationship and communication tools can sound like that. But if you really boil it down, what each of us are sharing, I think we're sharing like a deep gem that for each of us has been very hard won in terms of understanding truly what works in terms of being with our emotional body. You know, like you having to recognize when to grieve and being with yourself through the stages of grief, that is a hugely scorpionic emotional process of self companionship that has been like smolted from the fires of the pain that you've been through in relationship and me, this thing of like being able to actually like check in with myself about what I, what's happening and what I'm feeling and then let what I'm asking for and how I'm oriented actually come from feeling instead of from emotional one, two, three steps. And this is how you do it to be good. Right. As like the most life-changing reorientation about how I relate to myself. Right. That I've been able to find that is completely not intellectual. Right. Is like purely being with the deep self and the emotional body. And is also um like almost at a completely different time signature than intellectual thought moves. It is so like sinking in, sinking down for me, slowing down, creating like an embrace where these different emotional experiences can happen within. It's so multidimensional, right? Being more deep self, child self, adult self, elder self all at once.
0: I I love that you mentioned the time signature because, you know, when I am when we're speaking about this I I always think of the Capricorn, you know, I always think of this, this part that, that holds the authority, that holds the responsibility, that creates the structures. And a lot of that is represented by like the structures, the gravity, the time, you know, that we have. And, and you, you even mentioned like the little part of us that like, it's like the feminine, the inner child, the artist, the, the lover, it's like all these other parts of us that are like highly emotional and creative and magical. And like, so, crucial um but I think that the this Capricorn part of us can sometimes what you're speaking about like enter into this like logical or this like step one two three kind of way and and a lot of times with these like spiritual um spiritual or psychological like mind frames or filters that we look at the world in um that we that we create uh limits around like Um, Our own ability to go into these emotions and, and process them, I feel like hinders us so much from actually being able to, like what you're saying is like drop in and really process them, you know, really go into these, these emotional states in order to move through. But I think that what my hope for our manager or Capricorn that I'm speaking about, this, this could be considered the logical part would be actually creating the structure, creating the time, oh, wow. aiding these places to enter into those deep, embodied, timelessness spaces that we can touch into subconsciousness, that we can touch into these, you know, vast dimensions that hold our um, anger and our sadness, and, and these and denial and dissociations, and all of this that we must go through in order to fully be able to make boundaries and, and grieve and, and move through these gates of initiation and on to the other side in a way that brings us wholeness, you know, and authenticity. And, um, it's really tricky. And I think that we have to constantly, <laughs> maybe constantly is like an intense way to say it, but I do think that we need to be on our Capricorn in a sense, because it, as we are learning and as we're evolving it's like sometimes that that ego or that that Capricorn that elder that logic you know that witnesser if you will um they can get smarter and find different ways to like avoid those deep emotional processes right or, and or the other way would be to like that feed them and create code, coping strategies to get us adi- addicted inside of these dynamics or codependent dynamics, you know? And so it's like, our ego is constantly evolving and learning. And, and I think that it really is, is crucial to have this dance with, with our emotions and with the, that part of our, of our witness or our elder, if you will, um, that is holding that, that structure for us. And then it's like that
1: access point of cancer, right? That is the more like watery space. You know, I was listening to Ari Felix. They're an astrologer and they had this really good quote. They're like um, Saturn and they were talking about Capricorn. They're like Saturn isn't like an angry old man in the sky unless you believe God is an angry old man in the sky. Unless you believe like the rightful authority of your life is an angry old man in the sky. And it was just like such a good reminder. I think there's so much work being done right now to reimagine our traditional associations with all of the astrological archetypes. Like it reminds me of those books when you're first learning astrology and there's like five to 10 keywords for every sign or every planet. And a lot of when I was beginning to learn it becomes this kind of like mashing up of these five to 10 keywords into different combinations. And I was just at Norwac, that astrology conference. And it was so cool. First of all, it was like the most diverse, most youngest, most like fresh voice astrology thing I'd been in for a while. You know, there were just like so many folks being uplifted. That was like, felt really kind of radical for a lot of the traditional um, voices of astrology. And it was almost like everyone was really reimagining new ways of being able to take what's maybe become like a hard, encrusted, superficial understanding of all the archetypes and re enter it in order to break it open and revivify it through direct experiences that would give us novel information and insight into what these archetypes are. So there's one workshop of like, let's look at the myth. Of Saturn. One's, let's look at how Saturn actually moves astronomically in the sky. One is like, let's do like a somatic psychodrama where we experience Saturn. You know, one's like, let's look at how Saturn's been understood across all of these different cultures, right? Mesopotamia, the Mayans, the Babylonians, how did they envision Saturn? And it's just like, there's so much more there in each one of these archetypes. And, um, Just like when you were talking about that about Saturn, I felt again that newness, right? Where it's like you think about what a grief ritual used to look like, what the type of container, the ceremonial, the ritualistic, the collective container that we used to create culturally in order to hold these emotional experiences of grief And you get this like vast mosaic across all different cultures, you know, these beautiful different ways that people have found to move this energy through their body individually and collectively. And then you think about how that like over time with the rise of like the current angry white man in the sky as God, as leader, as politician, as head of household, as internalized voice deciding who we should be and who who in us and how in us is good or bad. You get these like grief traditions that just become more and more static, less and less embodied, like more and more wrung out of, um, like true emotional movement, you know, until you get these like wakes where you have a body like mummified with makeup on it, wearing a suit in a little box while everyone, you know, reads notes off of index cards that they've prepared while trying to hold it together and give a good speech instead of express real feeling, you know, where it's like shameful. If you cry, where you're trying to get through it without crying, for example. And it's like, that's, um, in sort of dismantling that view of Saturn where it's coinciding with the process of dismantling that authoritarian structure within and without and is like Absolutely. creating more space for all types of different energies and expressions to be held and flow through a new container.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's that, relationship where it's is the Capricorn or the authority structure actually in support of the inner child in support of the artist in support of the feminine it's like when you're I love that you mentioned our grief rituals in society because like death and birth like the way that we do it is so indicative to like how that Capricornian structure is really um is really being held inside of this and like our projections of this like angry wrath. Shaming us, damning us to all eternity um, of punishment and hell is such a representation of like how we feel that that external authority, and then how we then create our internal authority and our internal oppressor. You know, ends up shutting down and holding our our feminine or our inner child or our artist in the dungeon while we like be productive and we do all these things. And, and so often I think that that inner oppressor can just have so many different masks. And I think it's so interesting of, as we, like I was saying, like learning these different um, spiritual or, or psychological filters can start to like just recreate the mask, but then hiding the part of it that is still oppressing you
1: know, oppressing. Now it looks like nonviolent communication. Now it looks like doing this relational communication technique. Now it looks like. Yeah. yeah,
0: And, and I think oftentimes that's what I I keep going back to. Like I I was just speaking to um, a client and it's, it's, you know, their partner, she, they can't have a baby. And so their partner wants to have a baby all this, you know, not all of a sudden, but kind of all of a sudden and, and they're like, okay, well, we talked about this. I need to be okay with this. And it's, it's very beautiful in the way that they want to support it. But like, there's so much emotion that was just not because they wanted to be accepting and they wanted to be, there's all this weight, this, these other things that just, they went about it in in such a way that was so disrespectful to, to her feelings and, and then she, because she wanted to be accepting, felt like she couldn't go through or express any of her feelings. And so there was just like so much created that I felt, um, made it so hard to actually come to a place where, where both people could really thrive and feel that they could come to a place of authenticity, you know, and come to a place that felt like, yeah, thriving, you know, it's like, if we, if we shut these emotions down just because we know we want to be accepting, but we don't know how to like, actually just go through the emotions and still hold the other part of us that wants to be accepting, you know, it's like there, there has to be this, this way in which these emotions can still be processed by still not letting them completely rule us or letting us be like, okay, well then we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And if we're going to be emotional, then that means like, then we're just not accepting and like control the whole dynamic. It's like, there has to be like a way to dance within, you know, this, this part of us that, that can hold ourselves accountable to who we want to be and how we want to love the other person, but then also, um, hold ourselves and, and give ourselves space and time to be able to also speak to our needs and, and also just genuinely physically and emotionally process these emotions that are there, whether we like it or not, you know, and the, the, I think the denial of these quote unquote harder or lower octave earthy lower chakra, people like to call it a lot of um, these kinds of emotions or feelings or needs or wounds or whatever it is, whatever it's taking the shape of, I feel like they can be like, oh, well that's I don't want to be like that. Or there's this like lower way of, of, of that, you know, if I could just enter into those acceptance phase and, and just be this other person that's not controlling and not upsetting about it, then, then that would be great. But it's like, we, we gotta, we gotta bring the bridge, you know, we gotta, we gotta actually make the bridge from that place to that place and everything in between, like actually be true inside of our bodies. You know, it's, it's so yeah. crucial that this like rings true on a vibratory level throughout our entire being, not just in some sort of ideal, um, mental space. Yeah.
1: And just because it like conforms with our self-image, our desired self-image you No, know, And the thing is like, if you try and pretend you're okay with something that you're actually not, it's going to come out going to come out in your double signals and your body language in these like little comments that you make and big emotional reactions later on down the road
0: or in your body itself you know and diseases and balances it's it's going to come out and I think it's so interesting that so many times it's like what you're say, saying to you is just really crucial I think like it it threatens your egoic idea of what you want to portray or what you want to be and so many times we think oh my god they're just like so loving or they're just so supportive of other people or you know it's very much this like that person is just really self-sacrificing in this really like loving collaborative way but really it's like there's a really big part of their ego that's actually threatened by being able to go through those their own desires and emotions there's a big part of of um, you know, potentially the, the relationship or the support system that they feel safe with, as long as they don't enter into like acknowledging other people's desires and needs or emotions and their own inside of that, that might threaten, um, that overarching, um, system or that overarching, um, egoic mask. And I think that that's where it's like, we enter into territories that seem more narcissistic than, than loving and, and caretaking, you know, which is very, and also why are you, why, why,
1: why has the emotional identity of the person crystallized around being loving and not having your own emotional outbursts, you know, right. Like the ego itself is a defense mechanism to true vulnerability and a survival strategy that's in late in times of the personality and the psychology early in life. It reminds me of that thing with kids where they say like, if, um, if your kid isn't, uh, when they're younger having tantrums or crying or when they get a little bit older acting out, you should actually be more concerned because it means that that child doesn't feel safe enough. They don't trust have their your love and care for them enough to feel like they can act out, you know? So it's actually much more concerning. I mean, some kids will just like, because they feel not safe, will go the other way and like while out nonstop, like screaming their pain. But I think a lot of times if a kid is too well-behaved, means- you have to be even more concerned because of what they're internalizing in the family system.
0: Yeah that hits really tr- it's really home my my whole family likes to like brag so much about cuz my sister was the whiling in pain and like i like letting the entire hospital since the day she was born just like here the atrocities that (laughs) were occurring in my family (laughs) dynamic and she just like from the moment of birth really and like really really let everyone know for her whole. she's still she's still letting everyone know um but I chose the other coping strategy and I did I chose to to take care of all my own needs my mom brags that I like walked fast so fast so much faster than every other kid and I fed myself and started speaking so early and like was essentially caretaking people at such a extremely young age and um and I and I really figured like worked it out later of like me suppressing my emotions and and compartmentalizing like even physical pain like I would just like completely compartmentalize it um and I realized that it was just my main thing was that you cannot have needs otherwise it's overwhelming and unsafe and so when we have either way of like experiencing it, where we're screaming for our needs or when we're like avoiding them entirely and like caretaking everyone else's, it's it's really, it's a, it's a long and uh, necessary path to really like learn how to go into those deep feelings and find ways to process them without feeding them further. You know, and I think that balance is really something so crucial that, that aids us in being able to like make boundaries and grieve properly and give us, give ourselves space to feel and honor these feelings that like we found so many coping strategies since we're babies around dealing with, you know? Yeah. In addition
1: to grief, I just want to say something about trust, right? Because it's like, I think I was very similar like I had one tantrum and my moms remember it when I was a kid, there was like, I'm sure I cried or like had my moments where I was cranky or whatever, but I had like one tantrum that they remember my entire childhood, which to me is like a pretty clear signal that what I internalized from my environment is that, um, the love was not unconditional necessarily, or that, Mm -hmm. um, Whatever it was that happened, like something in me did not trust that I was accepted as I was or that the full range of my expression would be allowed, which is wow. why now so much what I think really makes an elder is someone who's able to hold a diversity of experience and a diversity of voices, right? That's not doing triangulation dynamics about who's the scapegoat and who's the golden child, who's not like, these things are acceptable, these things are not, these things are fit for public consumption and these things need to go away. But like, I really try and bring that um, eldership to my own internal experience of like a big open forum. Everything's allowed, right? What's all the things that we're feeling? And what's all the things that are going on for us, from you know, the most petty to the most whatever. But um again, it's like it's still a really big process, right? It's a really big process to completely rewire and reprogram these deep things that I really feel like we're doing not only for us, but we're doing the collective.
0: Yeah, and for our family systems too. Right. Absolutely and it's interesting because I've been consciously doing it since like for like I would say like 12 years at this 12 years at this point and it's like wow that's that's a long time to be that devoted uh to emotional alchemy and mastery and just healing in general and um and yet there's still every every day, every year, I'm finding layers and layers that are still embedded inside of this, um, these coping strategies that were created so young, these places inside of my nervous system that, um, even just like the relationships I attract, you know, of like, it's, it's one thing to give yourself space. And that's, I think, um, but really getting to the place where you attract the kind of people that also hold those kinds of spaces for you is like something so intricate and,
1: um, and such a good. And you said like, and then once you do get attached, right. Once you do get really emotionally involved with someone, you know, like then you're in the wild, then you're in the heat of it and you need to figure it out all over again. Then. And I do feel like these, these true rewirings can only happen in a workable (laughs) range of that heat. Yeah. Not too little heat. Like you We're just sitting pontificating about what we should do when you're in a relationship and not too much heat. Like you're really out of range and like in a traumatic brain and full blown, but in that right range of heat where it's like, whoo, I'm activated, but I still have a little bit of wiggle room here. But, um, anyway, what I'm
0: really Like conscious, like two conscious people doing that kind of work, I think, to really be able to do that. Cause yeah, it's I'm gonna it's, really check it, in. Yeah. It's it's really crucial to have both people really being a, being really willing to do to do that kind of rewiring and those that work. Cause otherwise I do think that we end up attracting potentially just people that re-trigger those family system dynamics and traumas
1: yeah and then I think it takes us out of range if we're doing it all alone because yeah. I think even having to do it alone or being the one doing all the work is its own kind of traumatic reenactment
0: right especially with maybe the way that we grew up like I mean, me and you yeah yeah, <laughs> me and yeah, you, and maybe exactly. maybe some of you out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like as,
1: I think then, like we were
0: like the little kids not crying <laughs> and like yeah. emotional. They were calling us therapists. I'm pretty sure by the time we were five. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's so funny because it's like that was a fake therapist, right? Or like that's like a fake vision of what actual emotional navigation looks like. Is that? Like, I mean, we were literal children, you know, like you being five and me being nine and us being like, so how are you? You know, it's like able to have that vision, like, ooh, you're like a little counselor without like actually understanding the true work of what it means to like have actual self-awareness, actual ability to bring in your feeling. Anyway, it's so toxic. It's ridiculous to me. But anyway, what I've also
0: does is it makes a lot point. of like therapy. <laughs> What? Just to be real, I said, which does also mimic a lot of therapy, in my opinion, is sure. that there's like a lot of ways where it's like, and how are you and let me hold this endless, like clear mirror for you to like self evaluate and self reflect and like, add little nuggets of like potential um encouragements along your way. But there's, there's not that you know, you're not necessarily bringing in your own experiences and the thing, you know, like there's a lot of therapists dealing with things that they would never deal with. if They weren't like holding that space or aid actually. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic that we, that we have created as society, I think, um, around how to hold space for people and how to bring ourselves inside of relationships where it's like, it's, it's, it's not a true bringing ourselves forward I think in a lot of cases and we're entering into dynamics or contracts ways of energy exchange that in and of themselves isn't necessarily gratifying or sustainable without totally. there being like a monetary exchange does
1: that make sense yes very much so very much so and if I play that therapist role too cold and too hard and too much then I start to feel drained even though I do think that there's like, when I show up as a therapist, I also have to find a way to hold that role. Like I am being present to someone else. I am like, but it is also a relationship that requires me bringing myself into like an authentic and appropriate extent. And this is why I like that eldership model about everyone because the one in me who can really witness and the one in me who can go the other side of the pendulum and really express And then everything, you know, in the entire field. It's like everyone's welcome to the party. Totally. But I know we have to close soon, but I just want to say this thing about trust. I don't I'm gonna try and find the thread a little bit because it was about grief and about acceptance. Oh, for me, part of what enables more grieving is that trust. Like you said, like if you let go of something that's really not true for you anymore, it's about trusting that you will find something. That is more Yay. It's trusting like okay. that. The other person will be okay without you or whatever it is. Right. Like, there's an element of trust mm-hmm. that needs to come in okay. to feel like it, to like unclench the fist, you know, there has to be something, a little bit of trust. Like Otis, my, my homie out there, Otis Funkmeyer. He used to have this mantra. He said, this means something really good is happening, you know? Because it can look like horrendous things are happening. Shit is collapsing and burning and falling apart. You know, someone's dumping you. You have to move. You lost an opportunity. And he would just come back to this mantra. This means something really good is happening. And I think it's because it brought him this little drop of trust that allowed him to kind of like slightly pry his fingers one millimeter off whatever he was tightly clutching onto to start the grieving process. And the problem with... Some of the ways in which I've noticed I sometimes try and construct the principle of trust. Like I had this thing come up with my partner, right? Where I was like, we were about to make kind of a big decision together and go deeper into a new level of commitment. And I just had this huge amount of anxiety about it. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And I tried to like, listen to all my parts and all my voices and all of this thing. And at the end of the day, I realized I was just making a really big commitment with someone. And I was like, but I trust him, but I love him, but I trust him, but it wasn't calming me down. And so finally I was able just to like really focus in. I'm like, okay, to you, the aspect of my nervous system or my internal family system, whoever you want to fucking think it is, like to you who is freaking out right now, like, what would really make you feel comfortable? Is it that you don't trust him? And it's like, I trust him, but that's not enough. And I was like, what do you really need? And the answer that came back to me was, if shit goes south in this relationship, Mm -hmm. I trust myself that I'll do everything I can and I'll trust myself that I'll leave if it gets really bad. And to be honest, at first I was judgmental about that. I was like, what? Like, what do you mean you trust yourself that you'll leave? Like, that's your your way of doing it? And then I was like, no, that is the most critical trust I could possibly have in this relationship. Because I'm not trusting the external, right? I'm not trying to make some <laughs> independent bargain with reality, that reality is going to be okay, that I will meet someone, that this will work out, that everything's going to be fine. No, all that trust to me is like illusory, but I trust that you can do everything you can. And I do trust myself that I will know when I've reached my limit and that I will leave. I might not leave right away, but ultimately I will leave. <laughs> and... That just like was so, exactly what I needed. Like that was so like the trust that I needed.
0: Um, that's a fucking empowered feminine right there. <laughs> like that's what you need. What you need to be. I mean, that is like the most crucial part. I'm always telling people like, what are you opening for? Like, are you opening for the other person? Are you opening for yourself? Like, claim what you want and trust that you can navigate it on the other side. You know, it's like so many times I feel like women especially, it's like trying to find like a million ways to make themselves feel like a million percent safe in order to open and get what they fucking want anyways. And it's like just trust your fucking self and like if you don't find ways to trust yourself then like let's work on that you know and I was also
1: trying to find a million different jumping jacks in myself where I was I was trusting him more which I think is also what we're trained to do as women you know trust in the man trust it, in the external trust that the, so the job will work out trust that the money will come whatever it is is he saying am never I ever going to be exactly enough like all trusting that that anything means. external to you is never enough. And that's why you said 12 years. I think this is like lifelong work of building that relationship to self. Absolutely. That is truly trust.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned this because I I really do. I think it's actually the most crucial part. And I do think it's crucial to trust ourselves it's like the most important. And then there is this other part that makes me think about the magic of and and like the value <laughs> in like trusting the planets. <laughs> and I laughed just because yeah. I do think like there's this part of me that has really fought, you know, Saturn and Uranus and Pluto and just been like you are going to take the things I love the most from me. Why, you know, and it's I really have felt like their energy coming and so much of that has has, I've, I've tracked when they've come and I, and I have had a lot of like the really intense things in my life, um, happen as a result. And, and from that, I created this really, um, like fearful relationship or, um, this, these scary belief systems that like this God or these gods, these planets were going to take away the thing that I, that my ego like just wanted so bad. Um, And once I started to really like, when I was really shredded and like left my partner, my ex, um, and like as the world's closing down, got on the last plane flight of Australia, just like, just really finally surrendered. I feel like um, I have since then just been like, you know what? I fucking trust them and when you were saying like pry the thing out from your hands it's like we know when the energy is coming we know when change is needing to happen and like it's so important to trust ourselves that we can feel those whispers before they become screams but also that when they become screams like to me it's like I'll trust Uranus to come and break apart my like Saturn energy, if I have created something that has enslaved me or kept me in the dungeon and is Mm. crucial for my development, it's like, I'm going to trust that when the tower, you know, really starts to like the lightning strikes and the tower comes down like that Uranus is like, it's such a beautiful thing because it's the part that, that does strike through the foundations that we create, the, 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 the walls and the structures that we've created inside of Saturn and, and to have that trust that ultimately, whatever like what um, whatever Otis was saying about you know something good is happening. It's like no matter how crazy or disorienting and chaotic it looks on the external, sometimes um, it's crucial that we can like learn to listen and trust and and move with those energies, like move with those forces within and without. You know, I think it's such a dance of mastery that we like learn and alchemy that we're like alchemizing within ourselves. But with that is like all of the external reality, you know, it is with our, with the people, um, like you're, you are dancing with your, with your partner inside of this experience of of you entering into a deeper commitment and co-creating life together. And, and the planets are bringing us through cycles and bringing us profound energy to catapult, pulled us in new directions and we've got to trust that that we can fucking ride those waves if we've paddled ourselves out there and we waiting for the swell that when the swell comes we better be ready you know it's gonna be more dangerous if we start you know um if we start panicking out there and we let the wave crash right on top of our heads and you right. know and then sometimes yeah. that shit happens and we got to trust that when we get brought down to the bottom of the ocean floor, that we will then also be able to work with what, with,
1: with, with what brings what we've been brought. <laughs> and I just love that you're so on one about grief because I think learning how to grieve is one of the fundamental tools of being able to work with our emotions and with reality. And it makes me think of Chinese medicine where they list grief as one of their five primary feelings. And I, to me, that indicates that they understood how core and how integral it was to not only our emotional bodies, but to our entire energetic systems and to the earth herself, which is constantly birthing and dying and letting go and changing. changing. So right. thank you so much for being here and talking with me and sharing your fucking brilliant mind. Any last things before we close?
0: Ah, change is inevitable, inevitable. And I do think that in this time of, of profound change and when the external systems are um, radically shifting and crumbling in a sense, and also vying for, for new systems and new power, I think it's crucial that we really open to our own, um, grief our own needs and desires and are able to let the the grief wash our eyes so that we can see the the wonder and be open to what's what's on the other side of that and truly create um, with something that is authentic and real like being real with reality and um, yeah and I feel like that's a really crucial and beautiful prayer for this. For this time that we're in and this cancer season, it's like time to digest, time to really allow ourselves to physically, emotionally digest so that we can really know how to be and hold ourselves and how to create that, those containers for ourselves to be truly nurtured.